Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting from a woman who asked, Carol, is there really such a thing as sexual addiction? And of course I believe there is such a thing as sexual addiction. There's no doubt in my mind that there is such a thing as sexual addiction. However, one of the things that I recognized is that it is being called by a different name, and I'm good with that. You know, it did not get into our diagnostic statistical manual this year. Um, It didn't get in last year. And it gets reviewed every four or five years. And yet a bigger organization, the World Health Organization, which is really global, has decided to officially recognize that in the ICD-11, there will be a diagnosable condition known as compulsive sexual behavior disorder. Now, that's called CSBD. Again, that's, uh, it stands for Compulsive Sexual Behavior Disorder. And here's the wonderful thing about it. It serves as a long overdue validation for anyone who's felt the pain, the confusion, the agonizing, unceasing compulsion to consume porn or sexual acting out. Now, in the Porn Help blog, um, they say, here's how the ICD-11 describes this very real condition. Compulsive sexual behavior disorder is characterized by a persistent pattern of failure to control intense, repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior. That's why men that have multiple affairs that can't stop or men or women who watch pornography and they can't stop getting online, you know, they say they're going to stop, but they can't do it. It's that repetitive sexual impulse or urge that keeps them participating in behaviors that they are not proud of. Not only are they not proud of, But it creates self-loathing, and that self-loathing feeds into the sexual addiction cycle. So, okay, unfortunately, a lot of these repetitive behaviors become a central focus of the person's life to the point of neglecting their health, personal care, others' interests, activities, and responsibilities, 
relationships, you know, they continue to despite adverse consequences. Or, like other drugs, you know, if you talk to somebody who did cocaine or did heroin or did meth, oftentimes they will tell you, my second, third, or fourth time using the drug was never like the first. I really just worked at chasing the high. So, unfortunately, same thing occurs with sex addiction or, as we are now calling it, compulsive sexual behavior disorder. There's this pattern of failure to control intense sexual impulses or urges, and it typically has to last at least six months or more, and you and I know it lasts months, it lasts years, and it lasts decades. I was talking with a man today who was in his late 20s, and he said, My life is a mess. I can't think of anything else but this. I I don't know if you can really help me, Carol. And I said, you know what? The good news is you're not 60 or 50. You are doing it. You are working on this issue before you turn 30. And so prognosis is much more improved for you because you are working on the problem a lot earlier. That's the good news. And you and I both know that with sexual addiction, boys that turn into young men, 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, 26, they're not even able to have relationships with women because they're not sexually excited by face-to-face contact. They have trained their brain to like porn. Now, back to this global um, recognition from the World Health Organization. Compulsive sexual behavioral disorder um, does not include addiction. They don't say anything about addiction. They categorize it as an impulse control disorder. Well, shock, that's what I have been defining all of my sex addicts. You know, they have an impulse control disorder, NOS, and it interferes with their life. According to critics, um, the World Health Organization rejected the addiction model and the World Health Organization says, you know what, what we know is this impulse control, control disorder is somehow less serious than an addiction. Now, to be real honest, impulse control disorders also encourage a lot of unhealthy behaviors like kleptomania and pyromania, really serious conditions. Clinicians who already have been treating patients suffering from sex addiction and porn addiction for years are celebrating. We are. We are so happy that this is going to be diagnosable because this means we're going to get people treatment that they deserve. That means that therapists are going to begin to get information. They're going to begin to get knowledge as to how to treat this. And people are going to make recommendations to 12-step fellowships such as Sex Addicts Anonymous or Sexaholics Anonymous. The fact is, even though the word addiction remains a fixture in our society, the term long ago fell out of favor as a diagnostic describer. As a matter of fact, we don't even call drug and alcohol addiction addiction. We call it substance use disorder. So this is nothing new. And you know what? As a clinician and as clinicians, we don't care what you call it. We want people to get the treatment they deserve without the moral judgment. Um, We don't want anybody denigrating anyone's motives for wanting to quit pornography, lots of affairs, and all the other types of compulsive sexual behavior that's out there that is interfering with 
with one's life. So Pornhub says, hey, we look forward over the coming months and years to learning what percentage of prospective patients seek help from therapists for uncontrolled sexual behaviors that meet the diagnostic criteria for CSBD. We suspect the figure will be far higher than the critics predict. But even if CSBD only affects 1% of the Internet porn-using population, that's still tens of millions of people around the globe. And here's what I know to be true. In one of my sexual addictions groups, one of the members said, that he shared with seven men this weekend his own porn and acting out behaviors. And every single one of them said, you know, I look at porn, I act out, and I can't stop. I promise you this is epidemic. This is not just men acting badly. This is 100% an epidemic that nobody can figure out um, how to handle until they have 100% gotten trained on what are the treatments that work. So, hey, thanks for listening. I'm glad I got to vent a little bit. I really believe in this stuff. And, of course, what I know to be true is there are thousands and millions of people that are suffering right now that don't even have the guts to talk about it. Now, many of you know I got started training with sex addiction when I got the call from superintendents in schools, the kids were participating in compulsive sexual behaviors. And as if that wasn't bad enough, as they participated in compulsive sexual behavior, you had other kids that were videotaping the behaviors. And as a result, what I said to the superintendents of the schools where I had access to many of the teachers and students, I said, you know what? What I know is I don't know what to inst- how to instruct you. I mean, I know about boundaries and I know about healthy choices, but this is a very specialized field. And, and so it was my love for kids and working in the schools and working with teachers and administrators that got me to ITAP, which is the training institute that helps teach you about sexual addiction. And I was talking to one of my good colleagues who decided that she was going to work on developing a program for kids and adolescents to address their compulsive sexual behavioral problems. And so I am so excited to be uh, talking with Marnie Faree, who works for Bethesda Workshops, and find out a little bit about what she wants to create for this population. Because what we know is that kids 100% don't have the services they need to make their lives happen. And as a result, what I know is that we've got to work on helping kids figure this out so that they don't grow up to be adults that have this issue. If we can work with kids, we are being much more proactive and preventive. So, Marnie Free, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Carol. I really appreciate being on the show, and I've enjoyed listening to what you've said so far. I completely agree. Well, and absolutely, you are like a mover and shaker in our community (laughs) worldwide. And you just had finished a book with Rob Weiss on um, uh, Out of the Dog House. Out of the Dog House, yeah. Yeah. And 
Now you want to put together this program. You actually have put together this program for children, for adolescents who are displaying uh, compulsive sexual acting out. So let's talk a little bit about the needs that you saw, the program that you've developed, and your vision for how we can help our listening audience to know how they can get their children help. Thanks. I'm really excited about this and a little uh, apprehensive, to be honest. Uh, this is another first. I, For years, it felt like the God of my understanding had been encouraging me, you need to do something for adolescent girls who are struggling with problematic sexual behavior. That was kind of the original call on my life to work with women who were um, struggling with sex or love addiction, and that's part of my own story. And I've been ignoring that call, Carol, for a long time of just teenage girls, yikes. I, you know, I hated being a teenage girl and, and was miserable and was in so much trouble and nowhere to turn. And I just, to be honest, and for, I don't know, longer than I want to admit, probably three or four years, thought, you know what, let's let somebody else do that one, somebody who's got more experience than I do and really working with adolescents and teens. And the call just kept getting persistent. And at Bethesda Workshops, we were getting more and more and more calls, weekly calls for from parents, moms mostly, who were just distraught about their teenage girls' sexual behavior and not knowing what to do and having no resources other than, you know, kind of lock them in the closet and take away all of their technology. And... Um, I just finally said, you know what, I, we may not do this perfectly or even necessarily super well, and someone needs to do it. So we began working um, the first of the year and have developed a, a program. Right now the need is so great. There are some good inpatient programs for adolescent males who are struggling with problematic sexual behavior. But there's not any program I can find um, that has, especially CSATs, has, that you were talking about, that certified sex addiction therapist folks, people who seem to have very specific training in helping adolescents, even inpatient for girls, around sexuality. So we've started this intensive workshop format, and I'm excited to tell you more about that. Okay, so, you know, you, you saw the need and you created the programming and it, it scared you because of your own background and you thought you'd defer it to somebody else, but since nobody was addressing it, <laughs> you knew you had to do something. So tell us a little bit about what somebody could expect if they contacted you and started the intake process for their daughter. What, what ages and what kind of behaviors? Yeah, um, we are actually not working with children. We are working just with teens. And generally speaking, 14 or 15 years old, um, if if there is a, a group of girls who are younger and um, and we have enough for a younger group, we'll do younger girls. We just don't want to put 13-year-old girls in with 18-year-old girls. Um, and our 18-year-olds, we want them – to either still be in high school or to have just graduated. So, you know, because technically an 18-year-old is an adult and and she can uh, even come to our Healing for Women workshop um, as as a female. We actually had a, a precious 18-year-old last week at our workshop, Healing for Women, that finished Saturday night. But this is a four-day offering. That's the model we use at Bethesda Workshops. All our stuff begins Wednesdays at 1 p.m. and they end Saturday evening. So four very intense days. So we're following that model that that we know and are familiar with. Um, And what's most important, I think, about this, Carol, and want your listeners to know, this is not a program just for teens themselves. And by the way, we've now expanded it to offer the same program for teen males. Uh, And I'm excited. We actually have that workshop that's kicking off next week on August the 8th. So I'm real excited about 
about that, we found there were more teen males who were also interested in this format. So we're going to do both in gender-specific programs. So both of the, the formatting for the programs is the same. Here's that most important part I wanted your folks to know. Parents must come with their teen, whether it's a teen daughter or a teen son, a male or a female. This is not a place where you ship the teen off um, just by himself or herself. This is a family-based workshop, meaning the parents are also attending. And we just think that's super, super, super important because what we're seeing in terms of the behaviors, you asked that, um, we're seeing everything. We're seeing tons and tons and tons of pornography. And we actually are seeing that in the females just as much as we're seeing it in the teen males. The girls are looking at basically same, the same stuff. They may not be as interested themselves, but they want to know what their guys are looking at and, frankly, pressuring them to do pretty often. So we're seeing lots of, of Internet pornography, lots of sexting. Sexting is kind of a communication of choice, unfortunately, it seems, for today's teenagers. Um, it's, it's almost more the norm than not. Some really scary statistics ranging anywhere from – 30 up to very close to 50% of teens are, have either sent or received a sext message at some point. That's just astounding uh, to me. Uh, we're seeing what's really scary is for girls especially that they are taking their online behaviors offline, that they are sneaking out of the house, they're meeting, often it's an older male. To meet a boyfriend is one thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't think it's great for a kid to sneak out of the house and meet a boyfriend or girlfriend for sex at 2 o'clock in the morning and the parents have no idea where the teen is. But there's a whole other level of danger when she's sneaking out and she's meeting some guy that says he's 20 that she met online. Who knows who that is going to show up at wherever that rendezvous spot is. So we're seeing some really, really scary behaviors uh, and they're coming with all of the typical teen angst that, you know, my generation, your generation, my kids' generation had. Just, you know, teenagers are hard. It's such a hard time. And so the normal rebelliousness, the normal defiance, the normal boundary pushing, all those kinds of things, but it's just so exacerbated by all the sexual stuff that's out there and so readily available. Well, absolutely, and you know, just in the same way as when I got certified, and Marnie, you and I got certified at about the right the same time. We Tiger did. Was out, and and you know, I would talk with doctors and I would talk with professionals, and they'd say, "Well, isn't that just boys being boys? You know, males being males, men being men." And I said, not when it destroys families, not when it's uncontrollable, not when there's been efforts to stop. You know, those are some of the criteria for sexual addiction. And I have to say, when I talk to people about the fact that kids are seeing porn and they're acting out sexually and they're sending pictures of themselves and they're taking videos of each other acting out sexually, I have a lot of people that say, well, you know what? We were all exposed to Playboy and Penthouse and different pornography. And you and I both know we've been trained with, uh, by so many experts in the field. Kids are not looking at the same kind of pornography that our generation looked at. They are looking at gangbanging. They are looking at asphyxiation via oral sex. They are looking at horrendous, violent sexuality as part of their porn use. And I'm not advocating what what our parents saw, but what they are seeing in today's world drastically changes their ability to have relationships at all. And it's it's exactly right. Yeah, it, it is so sad. And we as adults have to figure out what to do to keep our kids safe. And so you created these programs both for females initially and for males to address that issue, and parental participation is mandatory. 
So what would a parent expect to do in a four-day workshop? It's a good question. The workshops are set up so that there are, it's all a group process, a multifamily process. We take no more than six families. Um, my guess is we, we may wind up limiting it to four families, but regardless, a small, a small group. Um, and there are group sessions of just the teens themselves with the same gender facilitator. So here at a group of four guys with their male facilitator. And at the same time, there's a group of parents who are meeting as a parent group with a facilitator. And so the teens are obviously talking about their behaviors, but a lot more than that. I'll get to that in a second. But the parents are talking about what is this like to be a parent of a teen who's doing these behaviors. Parents carry a lot of shame. Um, what, what have you tried that hasn't been helpful? What does this bring up for you about these kinds of behaviors? So, so we're starting there, giving parents a safe place to, to say what's happening. I think sex addiction is still like alcoholism um, in some ways. It's one thing to say, my teen is drinking too much, or I know my teen's smoking pot. But to say, my teen is climbing out the window and going to meet people in the park four miles away for sex, that's still a hard, that's a hard thing. Parents are afraid of being judged as well. And then the groups come together in different activities where uh, the families are talking just as a family and in multifamily group settings. So it's bringing in the power of group, which you and I know from our training is so very much the preferred choice, especially in some kind of a treatment setting. Individual counseling is really helpful, and group is also hugely important. But the teens are looking at their behaviors. They're looking at so many other issues that are driving the behaviors, and the parents are as well. Uh, and I think that's what's really important, Carol, is to not just be looking at the behaviors, because a, a parent cannot lock down this teen enough to keep her or him from acting out. It's just not possible, or it creates its own huge set of social problems and and rebellion and different things. So we've got to be looking at this more at the source and and looking at culture, looking at cultural messages, looking at shame, looking at those desperate things that teens want, like belonging and being part of the group and safety and those kinds of things. So we're looking at a whole lot more than just problematic sexual behavior. Well, and I can see the need for ongoing support groups for the parents as well as, you know, Marnie, one of the things that I did, the Asperger's population has a high rate of pornography use because these kids are isolated anyway. They don't feel comfortable with their own peers. They're they're kind of unusual, and so they... um, they become reclusive and they just look at porn. And you and I both know that when you train the brain to go for porn, the big issue becomes what else is out there? What haven't I seen? Right. What will I see today that I didn't see yesterday? And so it really becomes very compulsive for kids that don't have additional outlets. And so I created this adolescent group from for about – five kids with Asperger's and two kids that didn't have that issue um, but had pornography um, compulsivity. And I I modified a 12-step group. You know, we talked about their three circles and we had, you know, what were their jailbreak behaviors and what were their slippery slope behaviors when they were lonely, when they didn't have anybody to talk to, when they were bored, and, you know, what were their healthy circle behaviors. And and we talked about what were the recovery tools and how could they find somebody to call and say, hey, come on over and let's game. Even if gaming can oftentimes be another addiction, you know, sometimes you have to pick your compulsivity of choice. Yeah, and so these kids did a 12-week course with me, and at the end of the time, I really felt like I had given them 
about as much education as I could. And they were like, we're not ready to stop. We like each other. We want to keep doing this. And you combine those groups with a little pizza. And, you know, I mean, we did things like we'd look videos of Gary Wilson's Your Brain on Porn. They were fascinated with research. You know, and when they know better, they do better. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're hitting on a a tough thing for teenage populations, which is finding that peer support. Uh, And by the way, your group sounds fabulous, and we're doing those kinds of programmatic things as well in in the four days with with teens. Uh, But you can't send a teen to your average 12-step group out there, to Sex Addicts Anonymous. Um, no, exactly. They'd be you know, you, you just can't. And so, um, and I'll be honest, we haven't, we don't have any good or easy answers for what to do about that. Um, we're going to try to use some of the technology that the teens can easily stay connected, you know, together through Zoom or through, you know, different kinds of just programs that are out there, so they can can pretty easily stay connected. And the catch twenty two of that is that um, those are going to require, those kinds of tools, which we think are so necessary, are going to require a smartphone. And parents are terrified for a good reason for a kid who has been acting out sexually using the web to have access to those kinds of apps. And I understand that. And I think we're just so beginning to try to figure out how to help this population. I frankly don't know of another of another real way to, you know, to keep them connected. But that's exactly our hope is what happened with your group, that these groups of guys or these groups of girls are going to find, wow, this is such a safe place. You get me. You understand um, what it's like. You know me. I know you. I really, you are somebody I can reach out to for support. And, you know, folks come to us from all across the country. So it's not quite like a local group where they can continue to meet for pizza and hang out together and stuff. The people who come to us, it's going to have to be some type of virtual connection. Um, Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm wondering if Zoom might not be another good way with a leader to keep these kids connected when they really don't have a lot of healthy connections out there. That's right. And those are the things that beyond just that practical that we also really want to look at. Our culture, I sound like such an old woman, which I am actually, but our culture is so messed up. It's so sending unhealthy messages to guys, to girls, uh, about what does it mean to be feminine and all of the rampant, rampant sexuality. And now we're getting this course correction with the Me Too movement, which I love, and Still, that adds some confusion, especially for the guys, because the culture tells them, be aggressive, be, be a jock, try to find some girl who do this stuff with you that you've seen on pornography. And you can coerce her a little bit if you want. That's okay. And then now we've got, you know, the head of CBS today getting in enormous trouble for sexual behavior. And, and so it's, it's a very confusing time to be a kid, a teen, who is largely, unfortunately, learning about sex and sexuality and relationships from media and from the Internet. Those aren't very good teachers. Well, I absolutely agree. And so how can people get a hold of Bethesda Workshops? How can they get a hold of you and inquire more about these services? Maybe... You know, they're going to wait till fall break, or maybe they want to wait till December. But how can they get a hold of you? Thanks. We have just launched a new website, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and our address is BethesdaWorkshops.org. Bethesda, like Bethesda, Maryland, our name comes from a, a, actually a biblical reference, but Bethesda is spelled like Bethesda, Maryland, B-E-T-H-E-S-D-A, workshops, all one word, and workshops is plural with an S, dot org. And there's lots and lots of free information to just read. Um, someone would click under sex addiction and different 
or there's actually a, a tab now that says for parents. So that's the best place to start, and we'll kind of walk you through, and there's information about the workshops. There's also information for all the other populations that we treat, which are male sex addicts, separate workshops for female sex addicts, workshops for partners of addicts, and then for couples. So we at Bethesda Workshops are trying to help uh, all the various populations that are struggling with this devastating issue. Well, absolutely. And I've got to say, one of the things that um, can be problematic is the guilt that a parent has. You know, if they are working mom or dad, or if mom or dad has him or herself looked at pornography, you know, they can feel like possibly they were the reason that the child was first exposed to that. And so I'm wondering... How do you help a parent who may feel like their their child's first pornography episode was not another child, but was something they saw on mom or dad's computer? Oh, you have hit the nail on the head in terms of that's what we see so much, that kids are finding their parents' pornography. And so... That's another reason that we want parents to come to the workshop so that they can both look at their own issues. So if it's um, a a coupleship, a husband and wife or or step-parents who are involved in in raising this teen, they can look at issues within their relationships, Uh, but also so they can look at family issues. Um, We are going to be talking about attachments, about what what are characteristics of healthy families? We'll do family sculpts where a way of experiential way of positioning people, the team will direct it and we'll say, okay, if you're standing here, place mom somewhere in this room. How far is she away from you? Place dad or stepdad. Um, do you have other siblings? They're not part of this initial workshop. We think that's adding too many moving pieces for us at the beginning, but but have a stand-in for a sibling. And how do these people interact? And what's a message that you're getting from each one of them? That kind of thing. And so to really look at the dynamics within the family, and there's that fine line between uh, having the parents overwhelmed with shame because of their own behavior and how it's impacted um, their kids, but that's also reality. I mean, I, I had lots and lots of trauma as a child and exposed to lots of my father's pornography and other sexual stuff. And and there is that point of parents taking responsibility and saying, I am sorry. I want to become a healthier person myself, and I know that will help you become a healthier person. We are in this together, and we will walk down this healing journey together. And where they can really talk about whatever any issues are. A kid maybe, we hope if it's true for that kid, will say, hey, mom, dad, I feel put in the middle between you two. Y'all fight all the time, and both of you talk to me, and I don't know how to help you. And so we can bring that issue to the table. All of those kinds of things are part of this underlying fabric of that teen's experience, his or her life, that pornography and other kinds of sexual acting out are great salves at the moment, you know. They really soothe the pain of some family or life situation in the moment for now. And we both want to help look at those underlying issues and then give teens and give their parents lots better coping mechanisms and techniques for um, dealing with the pain in their life. Well, absolutely. And unfortunately, when it comes to kids, I do think parents' own guilt or fear that they might have in some way contributed. Maybe they had several boyfriends or girlfriends. Maybe they got a divorce. Maybe they looked at pornography. Maybe they had magazines around. Those kinds of things can keep a parent from doing the next right thing by helping their child. It's almost like they don't want to face it and they fear judgment from treatment centers, from workshops, from professionals, and that is not where we're at. We want healing to occur. 
And so exactly. your Bethesda Workshop has always been a premier workshop series that helped people to get past their past. And so I would encourage any parent who fears for their child to at least give you the call to go to the website, remind everybody what's the phone number and what's the website where they can begin to get information. The website is Bethesda Workshops, plural with an S, dot org, and our phone number is 615-467-5610. Okay, and so they could call and inquire about, you know, what services were available. And, you know, a lot of times you and I are both old enough to remember when kids had out-of-control behaviors, they were hospitalized for 30 to 45 days minimum. And it was a time to kind of contain their behavior and teach them good coping skills. But in today's world, those hospitals just are not available. And this is really a very concise way to begin to get the help that you need. I mean, four days is enough of an investment to really make a point and to psychoeducate and to provide support, but you're not taking the child out of his or her environment for months. Right. And, you know, we really want to be clear. We are certainly not miracle workers, and the kid or the parents or the family is not going to be fixed in four days. But what we hope and our model is that a whole lot of healing can happen that can give a hurting teen and hurting parents hope and beginning tools. And at that point, they can go home and work with great therapists like yourself, like all of the CSATs and other trained people across the country, uh, especially those who are coming from a family systems perspective, so they know how to work with the parents and the kid. If you're working with kids, you've got to be working with the parents at the same time, we think. Um, and, and can really continue down, down a healing road with lots of both hope and good information and good tools under their belt. So it's really the beginning of a process and not – the process itself, but we find in all of our adult workshops, four days makes a world of difference, and we hope that it it will in this case too. But but kids and their parents need to go home and boy, find a group like what you're doing. I think there there are a lot more of those weekly kind of groups for adolescents across the country. There's a center here in Nashville that's working with teens and adolescents and doing all kinds of groups, and that's easier to find. Um, they just may not know really how to deal with this issue. So if the teen can walk in and already have a lot of knowledge under her belt, under his belt, and be able to to bring that into that group safe setting, that's that's really impactful. Well, and what I love, again, is that from a family systems approach, we know that there isn't just one identified patient, so to speak. Right. The identification right. is the family because this kind of behavior affects the family and the family ends up affecting this kind of behavior. And so if everybody is getting resources and everybody's in being encouraged to talk, trust, and feel the process, they're going to begin to get the help that they need and they won't feel so isolated. That's exactly right. And then when parents can talk about that parental shame with other parents or talk about, you know, well, it's hard for me to tell my kid don't have sex with your boyfriend because I was doing that at age 14. Okay, then then that parent deserves healing and compassion for her hurting heart and some tools to be able to forgive herself and deal with that past and own it and not let it, as you were saying, keep her, keep that mom who was in that situation from effectively parenting her own child. I think parents are afraid to talk with their kids about their own mistakes because they're afraid that kids won't respect them. I know what what we found, what I believe it would have been true for me, uh, I would have respected my own dad so much more had he been able to just say, you know what, 
I'm a broken and messed up person and I've got some stuff in my life and I know it's affecting you and I'm going to get help and I'm going to get you help and we're going to get help and, and we're going to be okay. And so to, to give parents tools and in the workshop, they'll have this opportunity to talk in healthy ways, not trying to put all their problems on the kids, but to say, you know what, I made a lot of mistakes too. And I've been afraid to talk, to even tell you about them because I was afraid you know, I wouldn't have any credibility anymore with you. But that's the truth. And now now I get to get help and you get to get help. And we're going to find somebody who can help all of us as a family when we get back home. And that's pretty marvelous. Well, and you and I both know that kids really want truth. They want honesty. Yes. And they will respect a parent who's open to sharing feelings. And Again, when guilt and shame is involved, then most parents suppress feelings. So now I got to ask you, in this program, if if I've got a son or a daughter that I think would benefit, but I am a divorcee, what do you expect? What parent comes or what how do you do that with a divorce? <laughs> uh, it's a great question. Um the primary residential parent is required to come and you know we we have to be careful and want to be careful to if there's joint custody then both parents have to consent for treatment you know um so we're to be sure that we're following all the legal and ethical things about that our hope is that even in a divorce situation or maybe parents who who were never married to each other um, but if they're both active in the kid's life we invite and hope that they both will come because they're going to be connected certainly as long as this child is living in the home of one or the other of them. Um, and so if those parents can cooperate and be there for the best interest of their child uh, and not to fight all of their own battles about whatever happened in that relationship, then we welcome and want them both to come. The same thing if there's step-parents who are involved. If the adults involved in this kid's life can focus on we are about providing the help and support and healthy family and extended family that this kid needs, then they are welcome to come. If that's not a possibility, either because the relationship is so acrimonious or maybe the one of the, the parents is not willing to come or... Um, you know, that's just not going to work. A single parent is welcome to come. So we're, we're very aware that, that that Leave it to Cleaver family um, is probably was never really the norm uh, completely. And people's situations and lives are complicated, and they're all different kinds of family makeups. So whatever is the makeup of this particular family, um, we'll, we'll figure out how to work with you and to have have the adults who are involved in this kid's life to come if if they're willing. Well, here's what I know about the workshops and what you have done at Bethesda is that build it and they will come. So, you know, get this thing off the ground, and then what you will figure out is what you didn't know that you can add to the program. Right. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love for adults who come to Bethesda workshop, maybe it's a sex addict, and then the sex addict gets information and develops a trust, and then you suggest, you know, maybe uh, partners who have experienced betrayal would also benefit, so then the partners come, and they feel better, and then you do a couple series for them so that, you know, you graduate with them the amount of information they can take in in a certain amount of time, and then you build on right. that. And and I can see this happening for this adolescent program. I really can. Um, so I hope our listeners will go ahead and give you a call. Uh, again, one last time, that website for adolescents is? Bethesda Workshops, floor with an S, dot org, O-R-G. And our phone number is 615-467-5610. I feel like, Carol, that I should put a little bit of a caveat on that, that um, we welcome your calls and are glad to talk with you. We can't do 
counseling over the phone to help you figure out, you know, in, in the moment for our extremely complicated situations. So to just, and we're not a crisis um, call line or set up to handle any, anything like that. So I just, I don't want leaders, uh, viewers, listeners to be misled if they call and, and they're a little bit disappointed when we're saying, you know, what we can do is, is refer you to a counselor from the sexhelp.com directory and we have programs that might be helpful and um, resources in terms of books, recommended reading and stuff on our website. And, and we're so sorry we can't help you figure out what to do about your kid who snuck out of your house last night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. And yet you can um, tell them about the different websites like sexhelp.com that will get them to CSATs who say they work with families or adolescents. I'm sure you know good people across the country that if they're close to that person's location, they can at least get a referral they can trust. Sure, sure. And you mentioned earlier uh, using some of Gary Wilson's material, Your Brain on Porn. We're exactly going to do some of that uh, next week with these young men who are coming. So there are some really good good material and resources out there as well. Oh, absolutely. Now, I would I would be amiss if I didn't ask you how are things going with the um the book Out of the Doghouse for Christian Men. I mean, that has been such a godsend to so many Men and women who love the fact that you and Robert Weiss wrote this book for Christian men. Oh, thanks. You're so kind to ask. Yes, uh, Rob and I got to be on your show however many months ago. I kind of forget now, maybe April or early May or something, uh, talking about that book. So you're, I really appreciate your mentioning it. You know, it's doing, it's doing really well. Like a lot of books, it's, it's, growing slowly as word of mouth and things are spreading about it. Um, we have given away, I don't know, 300 or so copies to people across the country, um, to clinicians at the ITAP uh, symposium in May, to uh, mail books to probably 150 pastors across the country just trying to get the word out. And, and we're starting to hear really, really positive feedback. So that's Super exciting. Uh, Rob Weiss did a terrific job in writing an initial, very, very practical book for men caught cheating. And then he graciously invited me to adapt it for a Christian audience. Uh, You know, you can picture Rob, he's wryly saying, you know what, I bet you Christian folks struggle with this too. Uh, Well, yeah. Um, So to, to add in some Bible stories and passages and principles um, to get that really good practical material is all exactly there, but put it within a faith setting has been really helpful. So I've heard about churches that are using it as small groups for men. Uh, I'm also really excited. We're hearing from a lot of partners, a lot of wives who are saying, you know, I found this book and boy, you get me. I love that you are nailing him about about he deserves to be in the doghouse, about how extraordinarily painful this betrayal uh, is of his deceit and the way he's broken relationship trust. And I love the way you're calling them into accountability and and asking them to man up and to re-earn trust. And so I think the wives who have experienced that enormous pain of betrayal would find the book helpful just in terms of validating their experience and then also giving them some realistic, practical expectations of what is this going to look like uh, for him to do what he needs to do in re-earning relationship trust. Well, you know, it's so interesting, Marnie, because I'm a CSAT as well as an APSAT. And an APSAT is that partner-sensitive trauma training that we receive to help partners to work through this kind of betrayal. And one of the things I believe, I'm on the board and I teach is that when you are working with a man and a woman who have experienced betrayal, it is really up to the male to get in good recovery, do the disclosure, 
the emotional impact letter, uh, the restitution letter. Actually, the man does the disclosure, the woman does the emotional impact, and then the man does the restitution. And when he's in good recovery, it is his responsibility to help make her feel better by helping to create safety and stabilization in her life. And when that happens, then she does feel better. That makes him feel better. And together they can do that early recovery couples work that both of them so badly want after this big relationship fracture. And so, you know, Rob and you wrote this book. Rob wrote it and then you adapted it. And, you know, it does say, Guys, it's time to man up, do what you need to, to make her feel safe, to right the wrongs. You'll never be able to totally right the wrong. But my experience is partners that stick with the coupleship want and expect the addict to do the next right thing to prove that they can be trustworthy again. And and addicts do that. They want that. They want to do it differently the second, third, fourth, fifth time around, whatever it is. Yes, and partners deserve that, Carol. Partners deserve to to have their pain attended to and to have the betrayer be empathetic about that pain instead of dismissive of it or impatient with it. And all of that's a process uh, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I just love to be a part of providing men um, and within the Christian community uh, as well that some very specific steps about here is what that looks like. 100%. So thank you again for helping to adapt that. You know, Bethesda Workshops is a Christian organization. Do you have to be Christian? Do you have to ascribe to those biblical principles to come to your workshops? It's a great question, and the answer is no. We do want people to understand that that we're a Christian organization, and so we are using Bible stories or passages to illustrate clinical principles. So we don't want somebody to be surprised by that or off-put by that, but at the same time, all are welcome. We kind of specialize, Carol, in people of Christian faith who have been really, really wounded by the church people for whom they've been shamed and judged and ridiculed and maybe thrown out of the church uh, because of their failings and because of their behavior. And so they, they are very spiritually wounded, and we love to be a place of grace and affirmation and loving acceptance within a Christian context. At the same time, though, we have um, many people who have attended through the years who are of a different faith. I always love it when somebody will call me and say, I'm not a Christian. In fact, I don't do any of that religious junk, but I hear you do great clinical treatment. Can I come? We say, absolutely. <laughs> and we, we are not going to, to pressure anyone. We're not going to say, read your Bible more or pray more, or especially, well, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. That's your solution for all these issues. We we may have some personal belief systems about that, but that's not a part of of treatment. We, we think that's not ethical, actually. Um, and so we talk so much about relationship with God uh, rather than rules-based religion. And within that big framework, each person, those are very personal decisions. So we're, we're never um, evangelizing is the word saying, well, you need to do this or that in terms of your belief system. And we've had people of Muslim faith, of Hindu, of Sikh um, come and say, you know what, everything y'all were teaching, I could translate into my own holy passages, and these principles apply. And I felt welcome, and I felt affirmed, and I never felt any kind of judgment or pressure, and thank you. And those kinds of comments, more than even from the Christian folk, who are the majority of the people who come, are the ones that tell us we're doing this right. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, Marnie Bree, again, thank you so much for coming on, for uh, for working on this program for adolescents. You know, you heard me say before, we need to be proactive and and help to 
get these kids on the right track because clearly uh, it's a very confusing world out there and and we got to be good role models but we also have to know what the resources are and you're helping um, shed that information so thank you so much thank you I'm always honored to be with you it's so much fun and I love your show well thank you all right you have a great week Marnie thanks you too all right so as you can see, she has made it her mission to continue to develop programming that is 100% um, the cutting edge of what this society needs, and I'm so proud to know her, especially because we did graduate in the same class, and, you know, she's amazing. So I will see you next week. And thanks for listening to the show. If you think you know somebody who would benefit from it, please pass it along. And um, I will talk to you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. And just remember that there will always be one of you at all times. And I clearly want you to have the courage to be yourself. That means you work on being authentic, honest, transparent, and true to yourself. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach.